Welcome everyone to the RJOS podcast. On this episode, we have a great interview with Dr. Christine Ho. Dr. Ho is well accomplished within the field of pediatric orthopedics. She is the division director of pediatric orthopedic surgery at Children's Health in Dallas, Texas, and is now a full professor at UT Southwestern. And what is amazing about Dr. Ho's story is that she accomplished all of this while working as a part-time orthopedic surgeon. I had a great time speaking with Dr. Ho, and I'm very excited to share our conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode of the RJOS podcast with Dr. Christine Ho. Dr. Christine Ho, thank you so much for joining us on the RJOS podcast. I'm so excited to be able to speak with you, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for asking me. I'm flattered. So I would love to start with an introduction to who you are, where you went to medical school, residency, and your post-fellowship years. Sure. So I, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't born in Texas, but I would say we got here as quickly as uh, we could. We moved here when I was three years old. Uh, My dad is also a physician, uh, so he had, uh, he and my mom immigrated over from Hong Kong in the 70s, and he um, did a brand new fellowship at that time called gastroenterology, because fibroptics had just been invented, and they did not know anyone in all of the country, except for in Wichita Falls, Texas, because that was where my mom's sister had gone to Baylor and married, met a guy in the law library, and he got a job in the DA's office in Wichita Falls, Texas. So that was where they ended up moving because my mom did not want to stay in in New York because it really was the same as living in Hong Kong. And they, they, right. there, there was a reason why they wanted to leave Hong Kong. So they, I grew up in Wichita Falls, Texas, very small town. Um, I went to school at MIT and then came back to Texas for med school at UT Southwestern. And yeah, and so I would say, you know, my background, my degree is actually in mechanical engineering with a minor in oh. biology. And uh, it's, it, yes, yeah, so I used to, and I picked to not do engineering, which I like. I like the numbers and I like figuring things out. It's very intuitive. So I really didn't like sitting in front of a computer all day. And so it's very yeah. ironic with the advent of EMR and being an academic orthopedist, <laughs> I kind of find myself sitting in front of a computer all day. Right. So the joke's on me. <laughs> so, so, um, all right. So what was I going to, oh, um, anyway. Okay. So then I started med school and I actually hated it. I thought I was going to quit. It's a lot what? of memorization. Yeah. It's wow. a lot of memorization and it's not just the way an engineer thinks like engineering right. is very problem solving. Most of my tests, uh, in undergrad were op- undergrad were open book because they would say, you know, closed book is not real life. I mean, you'd get, three engineering problems and you'd have two hours and your little blue, you know, booklet and you could write, you know, anything you wanted on like an eight by eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, or sometimes it even lets you bring books in because they said that's real life. And you're Mm -hmm. trying to assess your problem solving situation, your problem solving skills. Right. But as you know, in med school, it's not about problem solving. It's about being able to regurgitate tons and tons of information. And it's probably that first year for me was really rough. I mean, I didn't do great in med school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking, gosh, this kind of sucks. And I really right. don't know if this is what I want to do. And um, then, because I was a mechanical engineer, somebody had said, you know, you might really be interested in orthopedics. Mm-hmm. 
And so I approached them about doing, you know, some shadowing in the summer and some working in the lab where the research really didn't end up panning out. But um, the great thing about that is um, I was, um, I met Maureen Finnegan, who was a woman, she's a generalist who does some sports, but she was a woman faculty. Uh, Bob Buchholz was the program, uh, was the uh, chairman at that time. And so I was like, wow, there's a woman on faculty here. And she put me on a team and I went with them to clinic. I took some call. Um, and I remember my first night on call, uh, shadowing around with the, you know, the PGY2. And we came upstairs to, um, you know, present a case to the, the chief and the staff mm -hmm. who were operating. And they were reaming, uh, they were reaming a femur and they were doing a, a femoral nail and I just watched it and I thought man that is awesome and if I could do that at the end of this horrible med school and it wasn't that my mm -hmm. med school was horrible it was fine but you know that yes. if I can do this at the end it will be worth it right and you know further on going on to through you know my um, residency and the sub eyes and uh, I have to say you know I think for being a school in the south and in Texas it was very women friendly. You know, Bob Buchholz was, uh, you know, um, he passed now, but his wife was Mary Beth Izaki. And she was the first female president of any orthopedic society. She was president of the Hand Society. Wow. And little, yeah, so they had met at Yale. And the one thing that's really interesting that people don't know is he was the trailing south to Dallas. She, he's ahead of her. And so uh, she, graduated from med school at Yale and got her residency in UC Southwestern. So he followed her as mm -hmm. a trailing spouse and then they just never left and they had three daughters. And so I think he was such a champion of women in orthopedics. And right. so, you know, by the time I got to be a sub I year, um, they had another uh, woman on staff, uh, Kim Mesra, who's a hand surgeon. Uh, and three women were on the uh, were in the PGY three years. So three of the five residents that year were women and they were excellent. They were overwhelmingly known to be actually the strongest residents of that year. You know, wow. Ann Golden, Vicki Nall, Monica McDaniel, and I, I was just blown away. I mean, so that really shows, I think, you know, looking back now, I didn't realize it at the time, but now that I can look back to that, I can say, you know, there's definitely something to, if you can see it, you can, if you feel like you can be that so mm -hmm. because of having that strong history of having you know two which wasn't a lot but it's still a heck of a lot more than some programs have today right so in right. the 90s there were two women faculty <laughs> right and and we have more now thank goodness um and then they had you know that was a real eye-opener and so to mm -hmm. see also residents who were women I think was a really big influence. And then so I matched at LA County USC, uh, which is basically kind of like Parkland on the West Coast. Yes. And it was the same thing. Michael Patzakis was the chairman at that time. And he also had a very strong um, history of, of having women and minorities. I was one of three women in my class of 10. There were two women in the class ahead of us. And then that chief year, I think there were either two or three women the chief year when I was like a one, you know, so, right. and he actually won like an, the Academy Award for, the, for diversity. I can't remember oh, which wow. one it is, but in the early, mm -hmm. oh, oh, so, you know, I think that that's also, I think that that's a really 
and again, you know, I, I, you don't think of it going through it at the time, but kind of when you look back and take stock, you think, wow, there are certain inflection points in my life where because of men who believe in women, this was very, this was all possible and it never seemed right. weird or different or unattainable, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, true. so, yeah. So then um, I had a great time at LA County USC, very, very busy, busy clinically, um, you know, and USC has their relationship to train for all their PEDS subspecialties and their pediatric program at LA, at, sorry, at CHLA, so Children's mm-hmm. Hospital Los Angeles. And that was where I met um, attendings who were also very influential uh, to me going into PEDS, which was Vern Tolo and Dave mm-hmm. Skaggs and Bob Kay. And, you know, and one of the things that's really interesting about that program is at the time, they had no women attendings on faculty, either oh. for PEDS or for regular ortho. And I look back now and I, I, I never really was made to feel different. I mean, I got yelled at if I deserved to get yelled at. I got told that I did a great job if I did a great job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I really felt like I was treated very equally. You know, some of the things that from being, I don't know if you're on the Facebook Women of Orthopedics group. Yes, I am. But I read some of these, these stories of harassment. And, and I, I just think, wow, I don't know what I have I have been very lucky because I have not really experienced any of that. There was one really mm-hmm. kind of creepy attending that I won't out here, but anyone who's at LA County USC would know exactly who it was. And he made some inappropriate comments, but never anything that was like a physical advance or, right. you know, made a pass at me or anything like mm-hmm. that. Just kind of like weird, creepy stuff that I'm like, hey, yes. you really probably shouldn't say that. That's like, you know, <laughs> right. So, so, true. so I, I, I really, you know, um, was fortunate that I didn't, didn't, I I was just had I felt very supported along the way. I never felt like I was right. made to feel different or unwanted or you know, I mm-hmm. went to go see the Lakers play when the reps came by with tickets just as much as the guides did. Um right. I got invited to the same, you know, rep uh dinners, uh, you know, at at Masahishu that you used to be able to go to back in the day before, you know, Sunshine Act and all of that right. kind of stuff, all of the boondoggles. <laughs> you know, and I never felt like I was excluded from any of that. So, um anyway I ended up uh, matching, or I guess back then it wasn't a match. It was kind of a, you got a phone call and an exploding offer, but um, a handshake, that's right. A handshake, or we're going to call you on Monday, be by your phone. And so um, I ended up going, being able to go to my first choice fellowship, which was back home to Dallas, uh, to Scottish Rite. And then again, it was the same thing. You know, they had Mary Beth there. She was the, uh, you know, the chair of the hand uh, department at Scottish Rite, Lori Carroll, uh, was on staff, who also uh, was the first woman president of POSNA. So it's really wow. interesting to think, yeah, to think that so far there have been, as far as I know, three women presidents of their societies. And two of the three uh, are were from this tiny little specialty hospital in Dallas, Texas, in the deep yeah, south, awesome. right? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really, yeah. So um, I was really fortunate that uh, you know, I had a great fellowship at Scottish Rite, and then I stayed mm-hmm. on to do an additional six months of congenital PTAN with Mary Beth, and uh, Pete Carter was the other uh, hand faculty there at the time for, for Scottish Rite, and then they just kind of asked me to stay, and I've never been anywhere else. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's such a great story, and it's amazing, and I'm very happy to hear that you were supported along the way, you know, and that, of course, you always have those folks who 
are not as supportive, but those are outshadowed, so to speak, by those who have been able to help facilitate your career and inspire you. So that's fantastic. I do want to talk about the fact that you are a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Children's Health in Dallas, Texas. And so what inspired you to subspecialize in pediatric orthopedic surgery? You know, I enjoyed every rotation I had in orthopedics, except for arthroplastics. I felt like it was the same thing over and over. Is it a right knee? Is it a left knee? Is it, you know, I mean, yes, exactly. <laughs> how much varus is it? You know, and so, so not to judge on people who like arthroplasty. Not to hate, not to hate, but. Right, that's right. But that wasn't for me, you know, and what I, what I realized is I just loved seeing these kids and right. they crack me up. So I just had clinic on Tuesday and in that clinic, I had a four-year-old boy tell me, I really wanted to bring you donuts today. Oh. <laughs> I had and another why didn't girl you? tell me. That's, that's the yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, right? I had them. They, they draw me, they draw me um, pictures. They right. write me cards. Uh, I've had one of them. Some of them give me, like, little, like, trinkets of necklaces that they you know, may have gotten out of the candy, you know, the oh. candy machine or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had people um, write essays about me, about, you know, my hero is Dr. Ho, she fixed my arm and now I can do gymnastics. I mean, you know, they are awesome. They want to hug you when you say, I think this is the last visit, you know, you're done, you don't need to see me anymore. I mean, it, it's amazing. Right. And so I just think that they are just so pure and there's really no secondary gain. And I mean, I, you know, I get done with clinic of seeing these kids and the worst day for being peace clinic is still better than the best day of adult clinic, Right. <laughs> you know? And so I just, I do, I just, I just enjoy it so much. And I like the, the varied cases, you know, now I'm kind of down this rabbit hole of doing peds upper extremity stuff, but you know, I, I still operate on the whole body when I'm on call. So I still do right. femurs and tibias and, tips and you know and the other thing I like about it, there's always something new that walks in the door that I'm like oh I haven't seen that before right, yes I right. find it really challenging and it goes to I think as a surgeon you know this idea that you know we, we should be lifelong learners and that the field is never static and there's always things that you can learn you know mm-hmm. when I was a um, fellow uh, we had this kid come in with you know just Plano valgus feet, flexible, but painful, painful, painful. And so Tony Herring says to me, you know, I think we're going to do, you know, this, this calcaneal lengthening that, you know, Vince Mosca talks about. I mean, he says it sounds pretty good. And I'm like, have you ever done this before? And he's like, no, but, you know, we, you know we're going to read his article and he's, I've heard him talk on it. I mean, you know, just this idea that you can be at the top of your field like Tony Herring and still try new things right? and learn new things and say, you know, I mean, I remember we had one kid come in and I said, Dr. Herring, this child doesn't need a TAL, this kid needs a gastroc recession. And he said, I've never done that before. And I'm like, you haven't? And he's like, no, I've just always done the TALs. And I'm like, oh, he's like, well, you can show me tomorrow how to do a gastroc recession, right? I mean, yeah, so yeah, this, yeah. You know, this you know, idea that egoless, you know, right. and humble that, wow, there's right. still stuff that I can always learn and I can do better and I can learn things from other people. Which mm-hmm. I, to me is, you know, I just what I love so much about what we do is it's never boring and there's always new stuff to learn. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, well done. I do want to talk about the reason why I wanted to interview you. And this season of the RJOS podcast is highlighting surgeons who have taken the road less traveled 
And your unique story, Dr. Ho, stems from the fact that you work part-time. And so I was hoping that you can tell us uh, the story of when you first started working part-time and the inspiration for doing so. Yes. So um, I got married to a fellow orthopedist who I met in residency. He does shoulder and so he does adults, but it is not, and I will say, you know, my partner, Amy McIntosh talks about, you know, marrying the right person and not marrying the swoopers who swoop in when everything's good and the hard part is over. And I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, you marry someone who, I mean, if they see you on call and post call, they they have seen you at your worst. So, and if somebody wants to marry me after seeing me post call for multiple (laughs) years in residency, grouchy and tired and having not brushed my teeth or showered for 24 hours, and they still want to marry me. (laughs) You got it. Done. Done. Right. And so, um, so he's an orthopedist and he's started off in uh, academic, but has shifted uh, to private practice. And so he has a very busy private practice, you know, and it's very different from academics where you're going to meetings and you're publishing and you've got some dedicated time for research and admin. Um, he's, you know, he's in a you know model where you eat what you kill, right? So he's right. very, very busy. And so after our first kid, uh, we did daycare and I was still working full time and it was honestly a blur. I don't remember anything about those first six months of having our first kid until about, I think like October or Thanksgiving, Halloween, Thanksgiving, that might've been sometime around the time where I started like, you know, remembering things like kids would come back right. to clinic post-op. And I'd be like, who is this? I didn't, I didn't do this kid. And my, my nurse is like, Dr. Ho, this is your op net. I'm like, huh. Oh, okay then. I guess I did do this, right? I mean, it was just it was just yes. a blur, and right. And so, uh, when I was pregnant with our second, three years later, um, we made two decisions that really helped me a lot, and and made me actually really enjoy being at work and really mm-hmm. enjoy being at home. And one was the decision to have a nanny. Right. And before we had been doing daycare and we loved daycare and daycare was great. But one of the advantages to having the nanny is that you can come home and she can actually do things like clean up the house while you're, while you're gone. Right. And do some kind of mom, stay at home mom stuff that I would do if I was a stay at home mom. And so it's nice to be able to come home and the laundry has been folded and put away and the coffee machine, you know, is no longer sitting there with all the coffee dregs in there. Um, And so that was one. And then number two was the decision to go part-time. And mm-hmm. so um, it was, it, you know, when I uh, started Scottish Rite, I was the first uh, female surgeon to have a baby uh, while employed at Scottish Rite, and then not just that, but two babies. And then uh, I, I'm, I'm the only one that works on an abbreviated schedule. And mm-hmm. so I think that my ideal schedule would be if I could leave every day at 3 p.m., but everybody knows as a surgeon or as a doctor, that's just not going to happen. You just can't predict right. that. Uh, so it was just honestly easier to take a whole day off. And I said, just cut my salary by 20%. And and I'm fortunate that I feel that I have that choice, right? Because mm-hmm. my husband being an orthopedist is, you know, we make a pretty good salary, we have a comfortable living. So we are blessed to have jobs that pay us very well that allow us to have a nanny full time mm-hmm. and allow me to say I'm I can take a 20% cut in salary because it's not going to affect my lifestyle. And I need that quality of life. And nice. so the way that works is one day a week, typically Fridays, I just, I don't go in, which is not to say I'm not still fielding emails or working or having to, and every now and then I'll still have to go in and round on a patient, 
or mm -hmm. you know if i'm on call for hand stuff and something happens the night before they get admitted i still go in so it's not like it's a strict oh no it's friday i'm not going to come in and see my post-op patient like i'll still do carpool, drop the kids off, and then mm -hmm. run into the hospital to, to round or do a meeting or whatever, which is actually gotten a lot nicer with, uh, I think that's one of the advantages of COVID is now I don't have to rush in for a meeting. I can just do it this way. And I don't know yes. if I'll ever go back to driving 45 right. minutes round trip to go to a meeting that's half an hour. That's silly, you know? Right, right. So, um, so it's not like there's a clear delineation between work and home because I still mm -hmm. get administrative stuff done during, during the day, like sitting in carpool, but it has really, I mean, it is, I can have my kids friends over on Fridays if they're not in school or after school, pick them up and I can meet them and see them and they can, you know, and I, and I, that's my time to actually see my friends. Mm -hmm. And for my friends who don't work, we can, you know, go get our nails done or go, right. you know, eat lunch or something. And so, you know, it has been the best thing I've done for myself. And it has mm -hmm. been the best thing that I think I have done for my kids, because I feel like now I'm more fully engaged um, mm -hmm. To be able to say, hey, you know, I can't do this now, but on Friday, that'll be the day that we go and, you know, get, go to Joanne and do all that stuff after, you know, I pick up from carpool. And um, to me, it's a very clear, you know, this is Friday and everybody knows, like everybody knows on Friday that I'm not physically at work. They do know if they need to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me. And trust me, they get a hold of me. But um <laughs> You know, and I just can't imagine going back to where I'm working five days a week, at least not till the kids are, you know, in college, mm -hmm. you know, and then I don't know, maybe I'll keep doing it because I have to say it is and it is it's really nice to not be stressed about when mm -hmm. am I going to make an appointment to get my teeth cleaned or my yearly right. checkup or, you know, I need to do go to the eye doctor. I mean, you know, you can I can actually get those things done without right. being stressed that. I have to cancel because I can't tell you before the number of times I'd have to cancel because something came in the night before or, yes. you know, a case went longer and then you have to call the, and say, I've got to cancel or can we mm -hmm. postpone it? And then they'll play the game with you. Well, what about this day? Nope. Can't do that. Day. I'm in clinic. How about this day? Nope. So and so was out there, you know, and then all of a sudden that appointment is pushed to six months down the road, you know? Yes. So, yeah, exactly. it, it, you know, so I think for a lot of reasons, it has really worked well for me. Now that said, that may not be for everybody. You know, my mm -hmm. other two, you know, partners who are women, they, their husbands stay at home. And mm -hmm. so their husbands do all those things and they're all the breadwinners and they are blowing and going full time. Mm -hmm. Right. And, right. and so that works for them. So I just think it, you know, that's what works for us. That works. That's what works for, for my family. And mm -hmm. I think I'm, I know for sure I'm happier when I'm at work and I'm happier when I'm at home. Right. Oh, that's fantastic. I do want to say, I think it's absolutely hilarious that your family has the entire upper extremity covered. Like your husband's got the shoulder and you've got the kids <laughs> upper extremities. And so it's good to know. You know, I've never, I have never thought of that before. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just like, all right, well, I don't know who to go to. It's just like, it's like this house is the hand, is the right. house of the upper extremity. <laughs> right. Oh my God. That's awesome. I know that there are many advantages that you've talked about in terms of working part-time and that you're able to spend, you know, more time on yourself, more time with your kids, and therefore you're happier when you go to work and when you're at home. 
but can you also talk about some of the disadvantages that have come with working four days a week rather than the five days a week? Yeah. So I think, you know, when you look at my actual productivity, I don't, if the last numbers I've, I've seen, I'm not working 20% less than any of my other partners are. Right. Right. So if right. you're looking at that, you're, you, I really should be the, the bottom dweller of, of number of patients and number of surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not at the top, you know, right. but I'm definitely within the standard div of the mean. Right. So, right, right. you know, and I can't pay too much attention to those numbers because you know, one thing I really love about yoga is this concept of you can only focus on what's on your mat, right? And that's a great, I think, metaphor for life. If I'm in yoga and I'm trying to hold a pose or a balance and I start looking around the room, who else can do it? Am I better than this person? Am I better than that person? I'm going to fall, right? I can't keep right. my balance. And so it's the same kind of thing. I really try not to compare myself to what other people are doing, right? So that if, if when I do have an opportunity to look at those numbers, it really starts to make me feel dissatisfied that, well, I'm working just as hard as a lot of other people and I'm working harder than this person and I'm making less amount of money, but right. I can't, I can't worry about that. You know, I can only worry about me. This I'm very happy with the amount of money I bring home. I'm very happy with the support I get from, you know, from people at work, including mm-hmm. my, you know, including my, um, yeah, Chairman Dan Spicato. I'm very happy with the way I've got my life proportioned, mm-hmm. you know. So I think as long as I continue to just look at my math, right. I'm very happy. The, mm-hmm. the other downside is is just because patient care doesn't stop, there's still a lot of bleed over from work into home, right? right? And that's true for everybody. And that's not necessarily true just because I'm part time. You know, it's just that I have a whole day for it to really irritate me on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's one of the things that I've, you know, we taking home call. It's just the line between work and home. It's just it's so blurry. And sometimes like having that absolute sense of guilt where you're in the middle. So we just got a puppy and it's getting that call. And you're like playing with the puppy. You're like, okay, I'm sorry. I have to, I have to go real quick. And then you have to go. And then it, it's just that I find that line is just so blurred and navigating that has just been so interesting during this COVID pandemic. Well, and it's really difficult, I think, because it's so easy to get a hold of now, right? right? So before you could get paged and not look at it like, ah, F it, it's the hospital. I'm going to finish right, my right. dinner and I'll call them back in 10 minutes, right? Now they call directly to my cell phone or they mm. text me and the, the expectation is that immediately you're supposed to be able to be reachable, right? Right, right. And so that makes it more difficult as well, whereas I think you get paged and you make that decision to call them back, you know, versus now they call and, well, we called you and you didn't answer. Well, you know, I don't know. I was in the bathroom. I mean, whatever right, it is, right? Right, right. And, and then even with just the email and the texting about things, you know, you get into the habit of looking at it during dinner, you know, and so now right. we really try to say there are no electronic devices at the table, no one is answering mm-hmm. the phone unless they're on call, right? right. And then right. there's still, I still have it with me because like if I'm on hand calls every other night, and so I'll like pick it up and look at it and then I'll put it back down face down just to make sure I'm not missing something. But then you're never right. fully untethered. Right. You're not shut off. You're, you're never shut off in that sense. You're never shut yeah. off. So it's like the day, the, the yeah, so my Friday's off. It's never shut off. It's kind of on a lower volume, but it's never right. completely off. Right, yeah. No, that's so true. I mean, it's getting like that on vacation too, right? Because now everybody's reachable. Yeah. 
everywhere in the, everywhere in the world. Right. And I don't know I that that's a good thing. No, go ahead. Oh, no, and I just don't know that that's a good thing, that we're all so easily reachable. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's unfortunate reality of all surgeons, whether you're part-time or full-time, it's we're reachable. And you're you even when you're at home, you're not ever going to be able to shut off. And that's just kind of the duty that you took when you became a surgeon or a physician, for that matter. It's unless you're like a hospitalist or a deep ED physician where you like clock out. Um, right. Yeah, you're, you're just going to be called. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask with regard to when you became part-time, were you ever worried that your fellow partners or whoever would ever think, not less of you, but just kind of think that they would treat you differently because you were working part-time? Oh, I mean, absolutely. In fact, you know, I usually don't tell people like outside of, I mean, you know, obviously work news, right? And I think right. that that between having the babies and the young children and then saying I'm going part-time, I do feel there was a period of me trying to prove to my partners that I wasn't, you know, just there to collect a paycheck and that I was really right. there to work, you know, um, because, I mean, it happened really quickly. Like like most of us, you know, all of that delayed gratification. So by the time yes. I got married, I was 30, how old was I? 32. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I had my first child, I was 33. I mean, so literally I signed on at Scottish Rite and started, um, at, you know, working in like June and I was pregnant by like August or September. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and so, you know, and so you could do that and then, and then all of a sudden you're on maternity leave and then you have another kid and then you're like going part right. time. And so, you know, that is a real concern. And, but, you know, again, all I can do is, when people say, hey, this came in, are you interested in doing it? Say yes. You know, absolutely. I will take that patient, send that patient to see me. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. you know I'm happy to see it. And that's all I can do is, you know, just put my head down and, and work. And, you know, the, I made a goal for myself uh, back then. That I was going to try to lead, to publish one paper a year. And mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate that I was able, I've been able to most years do more than that. Um but I do think that there was a time where, and whether it was real or just my perception that I felt that I had to prove that mm -hmm. I was, you know, that I, that I was actually working. And, and now I, I don't feel, I don't feel, I feel the same. I mean, I don't feel, right. I don't feel that at all, you know, right. but this is now, I mean, I've been doing this part-time thing now for nine, nine years, nine, mm -hmm. yeah, nine and a half years now. Um, yeah, and um, and in fact, most people who are not um, at Scottish Rite, who you know, my out in academia world where you meet at meetings, they they have no idea that I work right. part time. Right. <laughs> you know. No, that's so cool. That's so cool. What I what I absolutely love about your story is the fact that you know you've been able to accomplish so much. You know, you're the division director of pediatric orthopedic surgery at Children's Health. You are part of the Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America, as well as the American Orthopedic Association, and which, congratulations to you, you are going to be a full professor this upcoming academic year. So first of all, congratulations on your new appointment. Thank um, you. I think it's just fantastic because I think a lot of folks are worried that working part-time will delay their career in the sense that I'm not going to be able to accomplish as much. And yet it's almost as though the fact that you're becoming a full professor is and everything that you've been able to accomplish is a 
fact that you can. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely, you know, absolutely you can. I mean, I think that I, I try to be hyper efficient um, during my days. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm very quick in clinic. I'm very quick with trying to get my epic notes out, so, so it's not a big time sink. Um, right. You know, I, I don't think that I'm as much of a power horse as perhaps some other people that I know uh, mm-hmm. are. But I mean, I think that, and uh, you know. Um, I think being involved really helps. And I think that, you know, um, you know, starting off and doing some really real good publications and real good research to kind of get your name out there and being up on the podium and then you meet other people. And certainly, you know, that idea that someone asks you to do something and you say yes. And that leads to another yes. And that leads to another, you say yes and you do a good job and you turn it in on time and you show that you're trustworthy. And then all of a sudden you're, you're flooded with offers from things and each thing that you do leads to a stepping stone for something Mm -hmm. else. You know, the hard thing that I have now is now trying to figure out what to say no to. And so there have been some things that I've just had to say, I, I, I can't do that. That is not my interest. That is not really something that I want to devote that much time doing, but Mm -hmm. here, what about my friend? So-and-so they would be great, you know? Um, So, uh, yes, you, I mean, yes, I think you, you can do it. I mean, obviously you, know, you can do it. Cause I mean, I, I was promoted to, I, you know, I got this promotion the same uh, cycle as two of my other partners who are, you know, the same year as me, as far as where we are career wise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not behind them. I'm like, right, right, right with them. So. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And congratulations on that. I think it's fantastic. You know, the more, representation that we get of female surgeons being in that full professorship level is just it helps the cause so to say as this is the rjos podcast so that's something that we should mention (laughs) yeah Um, absolutely i know i do want to transition to your role with leadership and that in 2004 you were selected to be a part of the emerging leaders program of the american orthopedic association and you have been elected for full membership into the American Orthopedic Association. And just for review for our listeners, the Emerging Leaders Program represents a highly select group of orthopedic surgeons who are poised to impact the specialty now and in the future, which sounds very fancy and I believe it. But so first of all, congratulations on being selected to this group. And funny story is that one of the other surgeons on this season of the RJOS podcast, Dr. Reed Nichols, was also elected to this program. So I wanted to ask you the same questions I asked her. Um, and I love Reed. Ha- I, I love know. her. She's she, awesome, uh, isn't she? She was so amazing. I love her story. I love her story. Um, yeah. How did you? How did participating in this program impact your career? You know, so first, before that, I got selected to, to be, for my program, to be a part of the resident leadership forum that occurs concurrently mm-hmm. with the AOA. This is back in, I mean, right. 04, 05, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it really, I think, opened up my eyes to the fact that it's, you know, of leadership and leading by example and, um that there's another pathway as far as, you know, being an orthopedic surgeon. And I think that, that being an orthopedic surgeon, you, ha- you have to be a leader. I think to be a, a right. surgeon, you have to lead your team. You have to lead your OR team. You, 
as a chief resident, I felt very empowered to lead my uh, trauma team because I would say, hey, this is the layout of the day. This is what we're going to do. What implant do you want? Great. Is it here? Blah, blah. You know, and so I think that all of us who are orthopedists, you know, do have to be efficient and effective leaders for us to get our jobs done, you know, to get our jobs done well. Um, but it, it opened up my eyes to this whole other area of leadership, which is leadership beyond just what is in my immediate sphere of my job. Um, you know, and I think that something, you know, for me now that I'm, I've become division director uh, of our department at uh, Children's Health Dallas, and I've been in that position after three years, um, I'm finding more value out of, out of, um, out of, things that the AOA offers as far as leadership, um, you know, there have been some, you know, and there's always people who, you know, recommend books, great books to read. And so I listen to those on audiobooks because that's for me very efficient to listen to it when right. I'm driving to and from the hospital and it mm -hmm. makes the drive more enjoyable. Um, true, true. You know, and so the other thing is, um, you know, meeting other similarly minded people from, I think around the country uh, who mm -hmm. are in that same, um, in that same arena, you know, like I said, my husband being an orthopedist, his needs for when he goes to a meeting is very different from my needs. Right. You know, so he's going, he wants to see me, he wants to update. So when I go to the, to like say AOS, I'm generally there in a teaching capacity okay. and, you know, I see my friends, you know, but as far as learning new skills, I think that that's something that, you know, emerging leaders and the AOA offers that I don't really think the other academies offer. Mm -hmm. What are some of the skills that you were able to acquire that you use in everyday practice? Oh, boy. Hmm. I know. That's a toughie. That's a toughie. What skills? You know, I, I would say, you know, my, if I were to describe my leadership style, I would say I tried to lead by example. I really try not to ask anyone to do things that I wouldn't do myself. And right. so while this may not be, you know, something that is related to the AOA, um, I just remember, you know, Bob Buchholz, when he was chairman, would come in on, in faculty meetings and say, we have these five days of Parkland call that nobody's covering. I'm going to take these two. Who else mm -hmm. can take the last three, right? And so you, it's hard to sit on your hands when you're the chairman who does arthroplasty and is well beyond an age where he should be taking Parkland call is right. still stepping to the, to the plate and saying, right. I'm taking these two days, whether, whether the rest of you guys doing. So, awesome. um, you know, so I would say, I, I definitely think that that's, you know, my leadership style. I also try to um, lead by consensus. You know, I mm -hmm. can come in with an agenda and say, look, this is what I think. But I really try to be very open to other ideas. We have some junior faculty, and I really try to in those meetings say, you know, I'd really like to hear from so and so since you know you're, you know, now taking a lot of trauma call. You know, what are your thoughts about this? Because this would impact you the most. You know, and mm -hmm. so um, I really try. While I may have my idea, this is what I think we should do, or this is where I think I want to steer the conversation. I really try to be open to listening mm -hmm. to other voices because you know. Even if we choose to not do that, I feel that we've been able to all discuss it and decide that we're jointly going to swim, all swim the same way. Right, right. Oh, that's awesome. 
What advice do you have for surgeons and surgeons in training who are wanting to be the future leaders of orthopedic surgery? Get involved, get involved, get involved, get involved, you know, and I remember being um, a resident and even as a fellow looking around at all these meetings thinking, how did all these people get to this point? You know, right. wow, that's amazing. And, and you know what, it just starts with, even if you're not in academics, you know, getting involved in your society, whether it's ASSH or AAHS, they are always looking for volunteers. They are always looking for volunteers to be on committees, to do work, to write chapters, to, you know, and all of that is really true volunteerism because I can't tell you it's countless numbers of hours and you don't get paid, but you do get a ribbon on your badge at the meeting. So I guess that's something. <laughs> many, many, yes, many, many colors is like yes. that. Like, you know, so I think of... that, you know, if you're interested in being a leader, starting with, you know, just, you know, that's how I, at Posna, I started um, on the social media committee that was doing OrthoKids, which is the mm -hmm. patient, you know, the parent family portal for Peace Ortho. And then when Jen Weiss, who was chairing that committee, stepped down to do communications chair, she said, hey, why don't you chair this committee and I was like oh, I don't know you know I'm you know my littlest is still two I don't really know if I want that much commitment and I said well right. let me think about blonde I thought you know what this is a relatively doable leadership position because it's at home it's writing it's editing it's organization stuff mm -hmm. that's you know so this is stuff I can do after the kids are in bed and I can do right. it anywhere I can do it from a plane you know and if I do a crappy job the worst that's going to happen is it may delay page, you know, the web page being published or we don't get published with as many articles as we want. And while that's not ideal, it's not the end of the world. Right. True. true. <laughs> right. And, and, and so, but I think if you are interested in being a leader, you know, just starting with those things that you get asked to do and just doing it really well. And people mm -hmm. notice that, like, I can tell you from that first year of sharing who on my committee got me all their articles right on time and who I was just still browbeating after we had even got live saying, Hey, when are you getting me that stuff that you're supposed to write? Hey, you know, if you right, sat down right. and do it, it really only takes an hour, you know? And, and so that you start to get a reputation, even if you were just mm -hmm. a lowly committee member like me saying, I'm going to write some articles and turn them in for being timely and doing your job. And, and then all of a sudden, it, believe it or not, it, it, the word spreads quickly if you're a hard worker right. and you're reliable. And um, so I would say you get started doing a committee, all of a sudden you're leading the committee and then that leads mm -hmm. to a, another ask to be on another committee. And then I'm, right. you know, so, and, and it goes, it just kind of goes from there. <laughs> oh, and the other thing that doesn't help, one more thing, the other thing that does not hurt at all is get, make friends, make friends. Being and, nice is good and making yeah, friends is being good. Nice, yes. Be nice. Be <laughs> nice. Make friends. Have fun. You know, um, that to me, my network of friends who do pediatric orthopedics and pediatric hands throughout the country are the greatest source of joy for me when I go to meetings. And, you know, yeah, so just make friends and, you know, then if they need something from you, they can, they ask you, which will lead to another opportunity. And so I certainly mm -hmm. have a network of friends where we all kind of 
asks and you know you know hey i haven't asked for you hey you want to write a chapter for the academy you know and so um and they'll do the same you know they do the same for me and i really also try now that i've been doing this a little while being able to look at some of perhaps the more junior people who are coming up and say well that person needs to be asked right and so it just it just starts with that and I know, Dr. Ho, we've talked a lot about your past, and so I would like to speak about the future and what your future goals and projects are. Oh, future goals and projects. I know. I'm just throwing the hardballs out here. Gosh. You know, my future goals and projects. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think, does that mean, like, for me personally? Does that mean for my division? Anything. That... Okay. Anything. Okay, so I would say my future goals and project is, you know, we are in a very unusual um, position between Texas Scottish Rite and Children's Health Dallas, because mm-hmm. even though I am a Texas Scottish Rite physician, we have this relationship with Children's Health Dallas, and we are their pediatric orthopedist. And mm-hmm. so I think um, my, you know, um, goal is to really strengthen and solidify that relationship between the two institutions, which is also includes the third institution, which is the med school, which is UT Southwestern. And so um, that interplay between the three of us when, you know, things are changing, healthcare is changing, and then all of a sudden there's COVID happening. um, That is really a goal of mine going forward to um, make sure that this is a long-term relationship uh, for them and for us, and that all parties involved are happy with that relationship and, you know, right. happy with the care we provide, that we'll be in good partners to our sister or brother, whatever you want to call them, you know, pronoun, non-specific institutions. Our people. Our people, <laughs> our people, you know, while still, you know, educating residents and educating fellows, you know, mm-hmm. so to me, that's in the more kind of, that's my goal for, I guess, my, um, my position as division uh, director, you know, um, is to work on really trying to get that to be a long-term thing where we're not having to re-sign contracts every couple of years. Um, I'd really mm-hmm. like for this to, to, you know, to, you know, get hitched long-term, I guess. <laughs> and then I think on a more, you know, on a more um, national sort of level, you know, um, now that, you know, my kids are kind of older and they'll no longer, you know, upset as much. Well, they'll still upset. It's not quite like when I came back one time from a meeting and I was giving my son a bath and I brought him back these little ducks because I had been in Boston. Right. And he had one duck in the corner and then the other two ducks were in the water and he goes, look, he goes, this is baby duck and daddy duck. And they'll over here, but look, there's mommy duck over there. That, and that was the duck that was in the corner. And he goes, mommy duck is at a meeting. Oh, <laughs> and I was Lord. like, oh, okay. This, right. I mean, so, <laughs> so they're not doing that anymore. Um, right, right. So it makes it, and it makes it easier because, you know, at, at 12 and at nine, they'll kind of into their own thing. They're very self-sufficient. I can text them when I'm at meetings or FaceTime them. Uh, and so they always feel like they can always get a hold of me, even if I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, doing more uh, volunteerism on a, more of a national stage would be something mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm looking at trying to start to dip my toe in a little bit more, you know. Um, right. You know, things that have traditionally taken up, uh, you know, things that have, not traditionally, they, they do. They take right. up a, a lot of time and a lot of commitment. Like I, I had been um, probably six or seven years ago, uh, somebody said to me, I'd like to nominate you to be a member at large for the Posner board. And I said, oh, 
I just don't think I'm ready for that. Like, I just don't right. think that I, that is in my bandwidth. And if I do it, I want to make sure I can do it well. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that I'm starting to, to be able to do those. So I'm now on the uh, executive board for the section of orthopedics for the American wow. Academy of Pediatrics. And I'm right now, and yeah, so I will do, I'm chairing the policy and publications committee for them right now, which ended up being a little bit bigger of a job than I thought it was going to be because they dumped a 77 chapter uh, book in my lap and said, we want these reviews done by, you know, in a month. (laughs) And so coordinating that is kind of interesting, you know, and then so, um, you know, so I'm I'm doing that. And then Derek Kelly and I have taken over for chairing uh, posts uh, in Memphis, which is the pediatric orthopedic surgical techniques course. So this is Mm -hmm. our fifth year of doing that. And so, um, taking that over so I'm starting to kind of get you know out there and so now I feel like I'm in a position that if someone said to me hey I'd like to nominate you for a board position I feel like now I'm able to say yeah I think I would like to do that you know and I also think that you know this is something that Jen Weiss has taught me why are we afraid to say you know I'd like to be on the board I'd like for someone to ask me and I'd like to have that opportunity to do a good job and I think we as women are really hesitant to show that we that we want that leadership Mm-hmm. But hey, I want that opportunity. And so we, we right. kind of sometimes just sitting around waiting for someone to ask us, you know? Right, right. No, that's so true. Oh, well done. My last question for you, Dr. Ho, is what advice in general do you have for surgeons and surgeons in training? Ooh. Mm. So I would say whatever field of surgery you pick, make sure that you really, really like to go to work. You know, I know some people who I just don't think that they should have been surgeons because they sure don't seem very happy to be surgicizing. Where it's like, I, I, know, I know. Re- you know, I really enjoy being in the operating room. It's like my happy place. It's like mm-hmm. my love, my OR team. You know, it is the highlight of my week is to be operating. And the highlight of my week is also when I go to clinic and everybody I see in clinic is doing great and they're really happy and they love me and there are no complications. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I think you have to really look and say, is this what I really enjoy and love doing? Because no matter what, you're going to be doing it a lot right? You're going to be, mm-hmm. that's what you're spending the majority of your waking hours doing. So I'd say that's right. number one is just make sure that, you know, it's really truly what you love and you enjoy. Number two, surrounding yourself by with the right people. And I would mm-hmm. say that's the right people at home and that's the right people at work. And so I think that, you know, the most important thing you can do personally is to find the right partner, right? right and right. so my husband, he gets it he gets it right and you know like Mm -hmm. I said earlier if you can find someone who can see when you're post-call and stinky and unshowered and no toothbrushing and they still want to marry you I mean that's right right, that's a done deal right and so and and he gets it he gets what it's like that if I'm on call and I come home and he's had the kids for the past you know eight hours but then I come home and I take a nap he gets it right right you know and so um that's to me, the support and just no questions about it. And, you know, when I say, you know, well, I'm out of town for this meeting or that meeting, he's, it's not his favorite thing to be left with the kids for three days, but our nanny is awesome. Uh, You know, but he gets it. He gets it. That's part of the job. That's part of the gig as an academic surgeon is I'm, you know, going out and, you know, preaching the gospel of Scottish right and pediatric orthopedics. Right. And, and so, you know, and, I, and so that's 
really important is just to find, make sure that you surround yourself in your personal life with supportive people, you know, and right. so I've got a, a really close girlfriend uh, in Dowsum, some work like I do, uh, some are surgeons, some are lawyers, and some of them, plenty of them are stay-at-home moms, and right. so um, I think being able to, um, you know, I, I read a lot of stuff about these mommy wars, and I see people posting on Facebook that they felt that they were excluded from, you know, their ki- the other moms in their kids' grade or their class, and I've just, I've never felt that way. You know, I've been right. very fortunate that I've I've made a really good group of friends, and they have my back. You know, if I'm out of mm-hmm. town and ha- something happens with the nanny, I can text them, and they can pick my kids up from school and cart them right. over to tennis or what have you. You know, and so I feel really, you know, fortunate for that. So I'd say, you know, surrounding yourself with a community, a community that you can rely on. I mean, I was mm-hmm. one time I was in the bowels of some lecture hall at Wash U, and we had a snowstorm in Dallas in March. Okay. Oh, and Lord. this this lecture hall did not have cell phone signals. And this was back before you were iMessaging. So it had to go through the phone, right? So I get out of this lecture hall in the bowels of Wash U, and all of a sudden my phone is like, bing, 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 bing. And I look at it, and it's, you know, this group of, of girlfriends who are also moms saying, I just got the call. Have you seen the snow? It's crazy. They should come pick up the kids. Hey, we noticed Christine's not answering. Oh, I think she's out of town right now. Does anyone have her nanny's number? Someone said, oh, I have her number. Oh, I just texted her. She's going to go get the kids. And so by the time I came out, it was done. It was done. And my kids were at home and my friends had it taken care of. Right. And so I think that that is. And and, and the funny, the best part is that they knew that my husband would have no idea that this was happening. (laughs) (laughs) Because Fridays are his OR day and he does not keep his phone with him. When he's right. not, for whatever reason, we can. That's a whole other discussion about that. I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> but he does not keep his personal phone with him when he's operating. He puts it in his locker, right. and he, you know. So I know if there's an emergency, I have to call like his work cell phone, the bat phone, right? right? But they knew me well <laughs> enough to know. Well, we know her husband's not going to be like have any idea. So they just took care right. of it, right? Aww. So there's dread, and then you know, on another field, surrounding yourself with the right people at work. And I don't think right. that when people are talking about taking a job, I think mm-hmm. you that is also really important. Like, who are your partners? It's like your residency class, right? Who are yes. your partners? Are these the people you want to be? Pete Cardi's called the foxhole test. You want to be with them in the foxhole. And so I think that is really important, you know? Um, right. You know, obviously being Pete's ortho, we're kind of probably more touchy-feely and family-oriented, you know, um, <laughs> than, than, than perhaps some other surgical specialties. Um but that was important to me, and it was also important to me right. that um, when I said, hey, I, I don't want to work five days a week. I want to be home with my kids a little bit more, and um, that I wasn't made to feel less than. Or that, you know, and anything anything that I might have felt was really more imposed on me, mm-hmm. um, projecting that on myself. You know, I was never made to feel like I was less than or less of a team member or had less value. Um, right. You know, and then so I think maybe part of, like, everything that I've accomplished has been part of my insecurity trying to show, no, no, it was really, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm worth keeping around, you know? <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. Dr. Ho, that's fantastic. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I've had an absolute blast and I sincerely wish you the best of luck with everything that you're doing. Oh, well, you too. Thank you so much for asking. Like I said, it's very flattering to be asked to do something like this. So thank you.
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the RJOS podcast with Dr. Christine Ho. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. I want to take this time to thank my lead editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. I would also like to thank the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society for allowing me to partner with them and share these stories. Thank you so much for listening, and please stay safe.